This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Now, this is the kind of poll that I think we should start taking. Would you rather see Hillary Clinton in office, Donald Trump in office... Or have the earth destroyed by a giant meteor strike? Death by meteor with millennials is currently winning with 55%. Matt Kibbe is here to talk about meteorites and and other options, third-party options. Matt Kibbe, we begin with him right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. <laughs> One of those. Welcome to our welcome to our dope smoking hippie friend, Matt Kibbe, who is uh, uh, who is uh, a libertarian. And are you working for the the uh, the campaign? I run a, a Gary Johnson Super PAC. Okay. So we're we're not allowed to coordinate, as you right. know, these yeah, rules, know. and it's very complicated. Yeah. So, um, is 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 he running the campaign you expected him to run? Um, I, I honestly, I didn't have any deeply held expectations about how he'd run a campaign. Libertarians are famously um, disorganized. Yeah, that's I, a problem I think when you're trying to win a president. I think there's something going on there, but I also yeah. think, I mean, I, I think he's. Um, I I'm, I love the fact that I'm supporting Gary Johnson right now because he's he's a sane alternative. Um, I don't want to actually die by meteor, so I'm going with Gary Johnson instead. <laughs> really? And those two choices, yeah. Um, it's yeah. I guess I mean, if it was meteor or Gary Johnson, I probably would go for Gary. And Johnson. to be fair to Gary Johnson, he was not included in that particular. Yeah, poll. he wasn't. It was either just the two part main parties and yeah, the meteor, and the which meteor. I think we'd all choose meteor. And yeah. if it was those two and just a meteor and those are your only choices. You well, is the meteor, is it going to drag out? Are we going to know about it? Are we no, going to say just, coming? Are we going to have to panic? Then like, oh, which child do I have to, you know, say goodbye to? Because I don't have time to say goodbye to all of them. Or it's just a strike and it's over. Because it's just a strike and it's over. I think I'm for the meteor. I think Gary could have beat the meteor. 
Think so? I think so, too. This is another example <laughs> of media bias. They didn't include Gary against the media. <laughs> <laughs> the corruption. It actually is, because this was, this was for millennials. Yeah. This was taken for millennials. Why they wouldn't include the libertarian uh, candidate is... is and, and by the way, the most, the most vicious attacks against Gary are coming from Hillary Clinton apparatchiks because Gary is drawing a significant portion of millennial vote, and Hillary's just not... The kids aren't cool with Hillary. They don't like her no. that much. <laughs> I really <laughs> like that pantsuit that she was wearing the other day. That was nice. It's from the uh, Chairman Mao collection. Yeah, it really is. That was the excuse that they used to uh, bring in Al Gore, right? To bring in some of the millennials. Yeah. Which was like, uh, <laughs> he's... <laughs> no, he's, no, the kids love Al Gore. Yeah. Kids yeah. love him. But even, like, Bernie can't get the kids to switch because he missed the point of his own revolution. Yes. It wasn't about Bernie. It was about an authentic system of values outside of the political machine. And, and I think um, one of the things that Gary's doing is he's talking to, to young progressives. And it, it, it upsets you guys sometimes with some of his language. But yeah, I, th- I, think, <laughs> I, th- I think the new Liberty Coalition is going to be young progressives and young conservatives who don't want to shop in the two-party duopoly. Okay, so here's the thing. Anymore. Here's the thing. Because I, I think that is great in theory. But a progressive by nature, like I have no problem with a liberal. Right. You can be the biggest dopes. I could live next to the Grateful Dead. I don't care. I don't care. Um, I mean, as long as they're not doing that in the lawn where the kids are out. But yeah. um, it, a progressive by nature believes in big government. Right. So how does a libertarian and a progressive get along? Well, I, th- I think um, you, you look at young democratic socialists and they don't, they don't know what the word progressive means, the way that you and I think about it. It's a very authoritarian philosophy. It's very racist. Um, We know that history, but they think it means progress. And they think socialism means people working together to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking that's really what a libertarian is about. We believe in voluntary cooperation and people coming together to do things that they can't do alone. And, And we believe in a robust community. We don't want the government involved in that stuff because it really corrupts really important institutions. And so I think, I think if, if you get past the labels of progressive, liberal, Democrat... Okay, so, so I'm totally... I, Matt, I, I am totally willing to go down that road. Do you have any research that backs that up? Yes. Okay, good. Then I, don't even have to tell me about it. I'm on board. <laughs> now, uh, uh, here's the problem, though, with Gary good fact is... Check there, Glenn. <laughs> that was right? a good fact check. Yeah. Right, no, I'm... <laughs> no... <laughs> Meteor. Yeah, my, okay. okay. It was my Donald Trump right. moment. Yes. <laughs> so, Believe me. <laughs> Believe me. It's the most beautiful research you've ever seen. Um, the, uh, the problem that we have with, um, with Gary is not that he's reaching out to people at all. Um, it's the fact that he, <laughs> he doesn't seem to have any time to try to reach out to people us. like us. Yeah, he, and and when Weld was in this week, I mean, we all walked away. Now, he said afterwards, he said, that's not, that's not what I said. But we all heard him say, I want to uh, repeal and replace Obamacare. And, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to we're, we're, we're going to make it better. Well, yeah, he, he no. said he was they wanted to fix it. They wanted to fix Obamacare. His problem wasn't the big government program of Obamacare. His problem was that it's not working the way a big government program should. Since when is that a libertarian position? Now, is this... That's what we can't figure out. Is this a... Is this a... 
wink, wink kind of thing that we're all supposed to know? Because it's not working for the conservative. You're not going to make me defend Bill Weld, are you? <laughs> okay, good. I'm in. I'm in again. No, I think it's... Um, I, I have no idea what he said, and, and I don't want to defend that. The libertarian position doesn't think that, that government-run health care is good for people. Right. And that it shouldn't be in the health care business. Right, right. That, that's it. Right. That's it. Now, I do think that there's always interesting questions about... And, and the reason we fought Obamacare so much is that we knew once it was in place, it would be virtually impossible to dismantle a new entitlement. Look at, look at it now. It is collapsing. They knew it would collapse. Yeah. We Remember, we said this is designed to collapse. It is going to collapse. There's no way this math works for the next 10 years. Yeah. And now it's collapsing, and everybody's talking about, oh, well, but we're going to fix it. Now they got it in. Now they're going to just soup it up. Now, all the pollsters tell Republicans that you have to talk about fixing it. You can't talk about repealing it. So maybe it's just political rhetoric, but I do think it's an interesting question for libertarians and constitutional conservatives. How do you get out of this horrible entitlement state that is making poor people poor, that's, that's screwing young people? How do you do that in a way that's, that's politically conceivable? Yes. And I, I, think, I think somebody brave in politics needs to explain how to do that but it's probably not what you would get from a typical libertarian at a libertarian convention where they say if i had a button i would i would abolish the entitlement state today no, it's got to be reverse progressivism right yeah yeah it's got to be reverse progressivism it ha- you have to go slowly Penn and i have talked about this at length he's like glenn you know 30 years down the road when we're when we're in a nursing home that's when we'll be talking about you know, the really big stuff that you and I aren't going to agree on. Yeah. He's, but it's going to take you 30 years to get there, to slowly reverse this and to do the common sense, you know, the things that we agree on. Um, that's, that's the kind of stuff to me that yeah. we can make real progress on. And, it's, and the, the answer to all this stuff is more choice, more freedom, particularly for young people, not... Yeah. not not creating a new big redesign of healthcare, but actually giving them the choice as to whether or not they want to be part of that system. And I, I think you will see new free market solutions that we can't even conceive of yeah. emerge in healthcare and retirement and, and everything else if people are just given a choice. Well, I know we, we've been talking this week um, a lot about millennials and um, how that, that is, that's the hero generation. That's the greatest American generation the next one, the one to come now. Yeah. And it's, it's people our age. I don't even know how old are you. How old are you? 53. Whew, old man. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> so it's people our age. I just hope I never get as old as you. <laughs> 51, buddy. I know. Uh, so anyway, um, it, it, our job is to reach out to the, the, uh, the generation b- you know, that went before us, this, mm-hmm. the older generation, the Trump generation, and say, okay, stop, stop. That doesn't work, and you need to let it go. And we have to now reach to the young generation and say, you need to step up, and you need to, you need to know what did work, and don't throw the entire system out. Find out what did work, and pick it up, and now design and move forward. 
we're supposed to, I think, we're supposed to be the ones, we're the latchkey generation. We're always the one that didn't, we were, we were left at home, we were the ones that were forgotten. We were the middle kid. And we'll be the middle kid again. We're just the, the hippies are doing their thing now, and the millennials are coming up. We're the middle kid that is just going, can we make, we got to make peace here. You got to take less up at the top. You got to stop doing all these things. And the millennials, it's time for you to stand up and be who you are, be the hero generation that you are. Do you remember when uh, George W. Bush was trying to reform Social Security? The Democrats critique, he had this tiny little retirement account that would give people more choices. Yes. I think there are three choices in that system. And the Democrats' response was, you can't give people that many choices. They can't handle it. Three. Three. Yeah. And, and a young person. Because I know when it was television, ABC, NBC, CBS, it's too many choices. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know what to watch. There's too many things to watch on those three networks. And as it turns out, they're all the same anyway. <laughs> yes, exactly it right. It didn't matter. But, you know, young people today, they curate everything and they live in this mm-hmm. wild libertarian world where they, they choose their friends, they choose their music, and they're never overwhelmed by too many choices. They're only turned off. When somebody dictates their choices for them. And I, I think that, that has to be like the biggest opportunity we've ever had. I, I will tell you, um, Matt, I watched the debate. I don't know if you felt the same way. But I watched the debate the other night. And it, I was overwhelmed with this is the biggest lost opportunity in possibly our nation's history, politically speaking, where someone that could actually explain to two boobs on television common sense and constitutional principles and, and um, simple economics would have rode into a, a brand new dawn of America. Yeah. Well, we saw the, the leaked DNC memo where they, they talked about Pied Piper candidates like Donald Trump, people that would leave the party right over the cliff. And I was reminded they, they listed Rand Paul and Scott Walker and Marco Rubio as candidates they were scared to death of. Yeah. Because they knew yeah. that those guys could beat Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I know. And so, yes, we. So, can we I. Miss it. When we come back, I want to I ask you about one missed opportunity um, that the libertarians had. And, and just get your thoughts on that. Do, do it here in a second. By the way, um, Rigged is a new movie um, about the third-party candidate, rigged2016.com. We're airing it uh, on Wednesday, November 2nd at 8 p.m. Uh, then again, a uh, encore presentation on Saturday and Sunday at 8 p.m. It's rigged2016. I'm in it. A lot of other uh, big libertarians are in it. And uh, it's, it's worth uh, seeing behind the scenes on the campaign trail as well. Rigged2016. You can find out more information at rigged2016.com. Our sponsor at this half hour is um, realestateagentsitrust.com. When you hire an agent, you want somebody who is going to actually work for you instead of somebody who's just looking to get a nice commission and just put another house uh, on the list. Put a sign in your yard and then you never hear from them. After working with some real estate agents who didn't get the job done um, when I was moving out of the New York area, uh, we started looking at starting our own real estate agent company called realestateagentsitrust.com because we've done a lot of work with real estate agents all around the country. 
And we know some of the best. I mean, you know, they're on the Wall Street Journal top 100 real estate agents in the country. These are the guys who are, you know, they'll sell, um, uh, they'll spend more on advertising your home than most real estate agents make in a full year. Um, These are the best of the best. And when we choose them, we choose them. uh, One of the things is they have to be a fan of the show. They have to be somebody who has our values and our principles. So you know that their word and a handshake is really the only kind of contract that you need. And they will uh, sell your home on time and for the most money. Get moving now. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com. If you want to sell your home and you want to sell it now, realestateagentsitrust.com, where individually selected agents will work to earn your business every day. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Mercury. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. The Glenn Beck Program. 888-727-BECK. Matt Kibbe is uh, with us. Uh, he's, he runs a... Uh, a super PAC for um, Gary Johnson is uh, also um, uh, involved with the movie Rig 2016. You can find that at rig2016.com. Do you think that if Rand Paul would have let go of his Republican suit and said, I want to run as a libertarian, do you believe he would have won? Yes, I do. And I wish he or someone like Justin Amash... Yes, would have, would have taken that leap. Yes, um, yes. Why? Why didn't? Why didn't either one of them? Um, I don't know. And as someone that was always also involved in a Rand Paul super PAC, I wasn't allowed to encourage him to do that. Mm. Um, there was a window there, and I think I think I think the potential was huge. I think this is the biggest missed opportunity. Yeah. I mean, it's just you look at it and it, and you think nobody. Nobody likes. I've never seen any election like this in my lifetime. Yeah, well, that's for sure. I, and I know he's your guy, Matt, but he is terrible with conservatives. <laughs> I mean, absolutely terrible. He's he he has. It, it almost feels like contempt for conservatives. Well, for conservative Christians, values. when he was on with us, it was interesting. It was almost as if he had more trust in the government than he did for Christians. 
Yeah. And it was it was bizarre. Well, it was, was that really whole bizarre. thing, would you make a Nazi, Nazi cake? And, and I, I think his answer was yes, right? And, and Bill Weld, yeah, yes. And he said, and, he said you have to do it. Yeah. And uh, so Bill Weld came in and he said. going to force a private business owner to do something against their faith. How is that libertarian? I, I, I've never understood it. His, his policy on the border is really difficult to get your head around, too. But I know libertarians are, are not as border sensitive as... No, you know what? It's weird because libertarians are all over the map. Yeah. And the point is, that's what I was saying about the... Um, but not on the cake thing. And really, the border is, is as long as... If he gives it to the states, then it's up to the states. But um, libertarian... And this is the one thing that I like about it is... You don't have to be in a cookie cutter. You don't have to believe the same thing as the party does, except on control. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the, you know, the question of, of the border and explaining a lot of libertarian things is, is something that we need to figure out how to do better. Mm-hmm. And Gary obviously is not the the ultimate explainer <laughs> of things. No, he's not on, on anything. Not the ultimate explainer on Aleppo in the Syrian situation either. No, so. he's had a bad run. No, but he has. I mean, he has a he has a way of talking about things that that sometimes you you think you heard the opposite of what he was trying to say. He is the most. We think <laughs> we were talking. We were talking. Which it's is a problem. problematic. It's a problem. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about. We think that he is one of the most painfully honest uh, guys that we've seen in politics when it comes to critiquing himself. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that Aleppo thing. Almost to a fault. We were on the air going, stop apologizing, man. Stop it. Stop. Yeah. He was just so, look, I should have known that. No, you should have, but no, no, no. No, he feels that way. And I, th- I think one of the most compelling things about him, I mean, first of all, he is a successful business guy. He's a successful governor from a, from a blue state. That alone makes him really attractive in this yes. cycle to me. But his honesty, like, and yeah. his, he's got this, yeah. this goofy, honest persona. He does. And I don't think this guy would lie to you. And, and that, in this election, again, is, is a really refreshing thing, given the binary choice that we have. I mean, mm. if, if I could go back and, and recreate it, I, I would love for Rand Paul or Justin Amash to be up there. But, yeah. but that didn't happen, and they didn't take that leap. So why should somebody who doesn't necessarily think they agree with Gary Johnson, but they don't want to vote for the other two. Why should they vote for Gary Johnson? Because somebody said, and now music's starting, so we're going to have to come back for the answer. But Stu, I think, said yesterday that um, he wants to send a message to the libertarians and get make sure that they have a space. But I think it was Pat who said, I don't want to send the message to the libertarians that that's the kind of guy that we want. Yeah. So will you answer that when we come back? Rigged2016.com movie. You should check it out. It's happening next Wednesday. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Uh, Matt Kibbe, and uh, he's with um, Super PAC that uh, is for Johnson & Wells. And um, 
uh, Johnson and Weld. Um, why should somebody who doesn't agree with uh, Gary Johnson vote for him? Is, can you make a compelling case for that? Yeah, so, so one of the challenges for the Libertarian Party, any third party, is that all the rules are stacked against um, uh, barrier, there barriers, barriers to entry that keep third parties out. Um, if the Libertarian candidate breaks 5% in the polls, the Libertarian Party will be on a more equal footing going into the next presidential cycle. The, the two-party duopoly keeps changing the rules for ballot access. It's hard, harder to raise money as an outsider. And it shouldn't be shocking to anybody that the two parties in charge make it impossible for anyone else to get in. But I think the only way to fix where we're at is competition. Yeah, it Maybe is. it's the Libertarian Party, but there's so many barriers to entry to a fourth party. And, and you know, let's call it the Constitutional Conservative Party. Um, I would rather they were both in there, to be honest with you. I, I, want, I want people to see Choices. who we really are, right? Yeah. And there's a good play. I mean, a good sell for this, too, is that if you're in a state that's not competitive... I mean, if you're, you know, you're in New York or you're in Connecticut voting where the state's going to be a 30, 40 point margin for Hillary Clinton. I mean, you can you can vote for Donald Trump if you want. But I mean, it's probably because this if I understand the rules correctly, it's a popular vote measure. So your vote where you can't possibly win an electoral vote necessarily in that state, it's it goes towards that five percent. And that's a nationwide popular vote measure. Correct. Yeah, Yeah, very much so. But but again, I. I'm choosing Gary Johnson. I'm just fully in for Gary Johnson based on the other two choices I have, not on choices that I would like to have. And that's really what presidential politics is. You, you're stuck with these three choices. And, and Gary is the only person, I believe, running that, that actually represents the Constitution who also happens to be on a 50-state ballots. Mm-hmm. Maybe other candidates that, that are attractive on issues to you guys, but the reality is there's only one candidate that's on all the ballots, who is actually polling quite well in some Western states, who actually believes that the president is not a king. And to me, that's pretty compelling. Um, tell me, tell me um, why you made rig 2016. So I didn't make rig 2016. You, it's part of your... But I, I, was, I got involved pretty late. And Patrick Byrne from Overstock.com yeah. actually financed it. And the, the producer and the director really wanted to tap into that anxiety and frustration that people have with the two-party cartel. It, you've obviously seen it. You've seen yes. the finished product. Yes. Um, it, it is really compelling. There's a story of a guy. They, they tell many different stories of people that were in the system. They, they tell a story um, um, of a guy, I don't even know what his job was, but he was, he was a, like a campaign manager. He was a political consultant. Political yeah. consultant. And um, he, a guy came to him and said, hey, I, I want to run for Congress or a Senate or something. And he said, okay, um, well, tell me about your family. And he's like, well, I don't have any family. And he's like, well, what do you mean? You gotta, I mean, you got you know, I mean, to have to have a family story and everything else. And the guy came back to him. And put down on the table uh, a bunch of people, and he said, "Okay, here's my family," and a bunch of pictures and stuff. And and he said, "Oh, okay, I'd, I thought you said you didn't have any family. Well, um, these are from friends. Like this grandfather. This is not my grandfather. This is my friend's grandfather, and this is my neighbor's, uh, you know, cousin. And right? right. It was cr- crazy." And he said, for some reason, 
I said, okay, I'll represent you. And he went and represented, and the guy won. And he said, I just realized, what am I doing? And he was just in the system. And he's like, it's so corrupt and it's so full of lies. And he said, his child was born. That's what changed him. He had his first child. And his child was born and looked at his child and was like, oh my gosh, your father is a very bad man. And I am building really bad stuff in Washington and got out. I mean, it's it's compelling. The movie is really compelling. Are you concerned uh, that my understanding is that Donald Trump owns the word rigged um, so he could sue you at any moment? He's, well, he's, he's corrupted the word rigged. He has. Because he is, he is actually a product of the rigged political system and, and was propped up by the media cartel. Um, and, but, but the rigging of the system is far more fundamental than the fact that Donald Trump thinks he's losing at the moment. Um, the rigging of the system goes to you know, the Presidential Debate Commission alone, which is touched on in the film. Um, this is a nonprofit controlled by the two-party cartel that shockingly decides that they don't want other parties involved in their debates. Yeah, so it's a real, I'm and, and it's, a, it's a perfect way to strangle uh, third parties, but it's the clash between people with all this, these choices and all this power when it comes to every aspect of their lives, except when it comes to politics. And when you get to the political marketplace and, and particularly presidential, you feel like you're shopping in a mall in Caracas, right? There's nothing there. <laughs> and that's the clash. It's the clash between people that are more free and, and more educated and, and more able to decide things for themselves versus this old backfilled room two-party cartel that's propped up the, most, the, the two most unpopular candidates in the history of the what universe. What do you think 2020 looks like? Because Hillary Clinton, another four years of these, this kind of corruption and lies, the millennials... You know, that's that's a 30-year-old today. Yeah. So somebody 35 years old uh, going in to, to vote next time and everybody underneath, they're not buying into this. Another four years of just the death rate of the, of the baby boomers, yeah. um, the, the, the demographics are shifting and the Republicans don't have anything, the, but they're in better shape. Well, they were until Donald Trump. Um, the Democrats... You look at Hillary Clinton, and there's just there's no millennial that I know that would relate to either one of the parties right now. So what happens in four years? Well, the upside of this train wreck is that it it breaks something in a way that you're not going to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And I I think young people are the solution to this because they they see it for the fraud that it is. The rest of us grew up in this system where we only had two choices. We might not recognize it that way. But that, to me, is, is the liberty opportunity. You know, can you find common language? Can you find a candidate that sort of represents those broader values? Will someone like a Justin Amash be the entrepreneur and, and bet everything on that? Maybe there's someone we don't know yet. But I think it needs to be someone that can credibly say, I've run a campaign, someone that can credibly say, I've, I've done something with my life. And, you know, the problem with, with some of our young candidates is they, they, they haven't sort of passed that, that qualification threshold yet. And that's, I don't know if that's going to be a Libertarian Party candidate. Is it going to be a fourth candidate? Remember that the Tea Party kept breaking all of the rules, right? There's no way that Mike Lee was going to win. Couldn't happen. And then it did. There's no way that Rand Paul could win. And then it did. 
and and they were using the social media and technology to raise money outside the system, to organize outside the system, to break the rules of politics. Eventually, a presidential candidate can do that. Yeah, and I, I think we could have done it this time, but we didn't. Too. It didn't come together. So, who do you think wins? I think. I mean, I think Hillary is going to win, but. I say that with great humility from being wrong so many times in this Donald cycle. Trump, yeah. And also understanding that, that, you know, all of these races that we won for Liberty Republicans, um, the experts told us we couldn't win. And then we did. So something was going on. Um, I'm, so I, I, don't, I think it's going to be closer than people think. And I think Trump could win. But I, my bet today is Hillary. What, does, what happens to Donald Trump's constituents? We should talk to them because I, th- I think it's a mistake to, to, to lump some of the things. Oh, I, I, I can't stand Donald Trump. I, I, I disliked him even before you did, I think. Uh, I've, liked, I've not liked him for a long, long time. <laughs> but I would, I would. Don't challenge us on this one. We yeah. just liked Don't him first, dare. Matt. Oh, yeah? yeah? We were mocking him as he came down the escalator, you know, because oh, we had not liked him for years yeah. before that. Okay, you might beat me then because yeah. I, I wasn't even paying attention at that yeah, point. But, yeah. But I, I would uh, I, I view Donald Trump supporters the same way that I view Bernie Sanders supporters, and there's a lot of similarities there. There's there's yes. economic anxiety, there's there's belief that the system is is screwing them, and I agree with them on those things. And I think we need to, I think we need to talk to people. I agree with you. About what the what there's, are the there's, real a, there's maybe ten percent, and and a lot of them are the and 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 probably yeah just probably ten percent that were there at the beginning. And out of those who were there at the beginning, maybe 10% of those were there from the beginning because they were hearing uh, what they perceived to be dog whistles of neo-Nazi kind of scary stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that's 10% right. um, that, are, that have that authoritarian lean. I saw a poll of Donald Trump supporters, 48%, it said, uh, believe that Putin is a friend of the United States. Does that number surprise you? No, no, and I and there was a new poll by um, a Heritage Foundation thing that that showed that that a lot of young people didn't know who Mao Zedong was. And, yeah, and right. they they thought that Bush killed more people than Mao. Yeah, and so I I think I think people don't know a lot of history and they don't spend a lot of time focused on politics, and I wouldn't call that ignorance. I would call that normal life where your families and your jobs matter more than like you even know who Putin is. And I suspect yeah. that most Americans, until Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton started talking about him, didn't even know who he was. Well, I was always I always thought war was just God's way of teaching us geography. Right. <laughs> you know, well, it's, it's, who knew where Vietnam was until we went to Vietnam? Who knew where Iraq really was until we invaded Iraq? Grenada? Come on. Grenada. You thought it was a car from I mean, Ford. That's right. Exactly. And if, and if we had a more humble libertarian foreign policy, we wouldn't Sorry. need to know where Aleppo is. <laughs> That's a great answer. Yeah, very good. How can people get involved with you? My new organization is Free the People, and I, I want to talk to young people, and I'm trying to get out of politics and into, into popular culture. Um, check out freethepeople.org and... Uh, and check out some of the videos we're doing on socialism. We're trying to... Your, your series on socialism is fantastic. It really is. Really and, it, and it does well, like, like the heavy stuff, the stuff yeah. that is really asking people to get into history and philosophy and economics. It yeah. does better than the clickbait of the day stuff. People and, are 
I think people are hungry. We saw it when we were at Fox. We see it now. When you, when you have something to teach that they don't know, they're hungry for it. They really are. People treat people like morons. There are morons, Jeffy. Um, but, you know, not everybody's a moron. Um, and by the way, uh, you can check out Rigged 2016. Go to rigged2016.com. You can watch the film there. Or, and all you have to do is just, you know, just sign in. Um, or you can watch it on The Blaze Wednesday, November 2nd at 8 p.m., Saturday the 5th, and Sunday the 6th at 8 p.m., only on The Blaze TV. Matt, thank you so much. Good to be here. Good to see you. Uh, and now this. How much was the last mattress you purchased? Matt, how much? How much you pay? Come on, how much? I don't know. Come on. Millions. Did you? Did you? <laughs> wow! You didn't even, you didn't even go. Just be a nice you, go. Mattress. you don't care what you sleep on. Right. My, my wife bought the last mattress, yeah. and it, as it turns out, she gets to decide everything. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were talking the other day that uh, any man who says that they have anything to do with their life... There's no chance. They're lying. Yeah. They're lying. Mm-hmm. Happy wife, happy life. Um, anyway, if you, if you know... Uh, how much you paid, you're going to pay a lot less for the top-of-the-line Casper mattress. Uh, the king size uh, is less than... a thousand bucks? Yeah, less than a thousand bucks. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. It's, uh, Time Magazine named it the best invention of 2015. It's a really remarkable mattress. I have one, Pat has one, and they're just, they're really, really good. Uh, Casper.com, use the promo code BECK, get $50 off the purchase of your mattress. Terms and conditions do apply. It's Casper.com, offer code BECK. $50 off the purchase of your mattress, Casper. Dot com promo code back. This is the Glenn Beck program. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at glennbeck.com. Mercury. Seven two seven back. This is the Glenn Beck program. So Gary Johnson wrote in because we you had some hard questions for him, right? Yeah, I mean, and a lot of the I think concerns Pat was raising, yeah. uh, we asked Gary Johnson. Yeah. Did you say to him? Did, did Pat? Did you put in your get off my lawn? Did you put that? In? <laughs> yes, I, those very words. Good. All right. Good. Are there are Gary, some... get off my lawn, whippersnapper. <laughs> Part of it is landscaping related. Uh, right. Okay. Questions. But I asked him about uh, abortion. Uh, you know, how does personal liberty allow abortion? What, what does he think the role for government is in, in limiting that? Um, religious freedom. The, you know, we talked about the, the, the baker and that whole situation. Cabinet maker. Well, the, and, and my issue with him on that is, is like, look, as a libertarian, you should be more concerned about the government cracking down on people's religious beliefs than your concern on what, Two people in the free market might do to limit someone else. You could say theoretically and a religious not. person might do that. He doesn't seem no, to be. He doesn't seem to be. Uh, but he has answered that, and he talks about the, what Utah did as an example of that. You can read it up on my Facebook page or my Medium page. Also, a global warming was another one. Um, you know, he at one point talked about potentially being okay with a global warming fee. Um, and, uh, he, oh although he said, you know, his answer in that one, um, and you should read the whole thing. I mean, they're all up there, but uh, his answer on that one was basically like, you know, I, I looked at it. I, I look at all my options. I looked at that one and I dismissed it. Um, there was also, um, 
Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, he was pretty good on that one, I think. Um, you also had uh, Supreme Court. Um, he didn't go into specifics. I was look, I was hoping for him specifically to ask, because Bill Weld, who was in here, and we, of course, beat ourselves up on patents too the other day because we forgot to ask him the question about specifically what Weld said, mm-hmm. praising Merrick Garland uh, and Stephen Breyer as potential uh, right. good examples for Supreme Court justices, which was problematic. But he answered that question as well. And then uh, also kind of the question I think you brought up, Pat, which was, you know, he is a – there are things as – you know, Matt Kibbe, we've been around him for a long time. He's got a lot of conservative values. I'd love to have a Matt Kibbe-style uh, libertarian yeah. uh, if, uh, running. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are things that Gary Johnson believes that are constitutional and conservative. He just doesn't seem to have passion for them. Right. He has passion for the Bernie Sanders connections. He doesn't seem yeah. to have passion with the, with the connections uh-huh. to our audience. So you can read them all up on my Facebook page or on my Medium page. Check it out. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. So Donald Trump has said now that he is, he has pledged to accept Election Day results if he wins. Uh, He also said, I will totally accept the result of this great and historic presidential election. That's what he said in Delaware, Ohio. And then he paused again and said, if I win. (laughs) What? Jeffy enjoyed that. Have you have you uh, have you been paying attention to Ben Shapiro and his tweets during the debates? Ben Shapiro has called this election uh, all the way along and has been nailing nailing it one after another. The most stunning happened a couple of weeks ago when Donald Trump made some reference um, about you know, how he treats women. And Ben said he'll regret that by the end of the week. And lo and behold, he has. So it wasn't Hillary Clinton. We now know it's Ben Shapiro. That is torching Donald Trump's chances. And he's here to tell us how he's going to own it right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Ben Shapiro, welcome to the program, sir. How are you? Hey, Jim, pretty well. How are you? Uh, very good. Uh, so, uh, so we find out now that it is indeed a Jew, Ben Shapiro, that has been torching Donald Trump. They were right uh, well, all know. along. They were right yeah, all along, did. Ben. If only they'd known I was an international banker, this this would have changed everything. That's right. It's, it, 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 it is amazing how 
all of the people who foisted Donald Trump on us in the primaries are now insisting that anyone who says that Donald Trump was a bad candidate from the beginning is at fault here. If only we had jumped on the Trump train sooner, then he'd be losing by presumably six points instead of by eight. So everybody's preparing for the post-election fallout. The people who time themselves to this electrical fire more than anybody else. I mean, they're already prepping Trump TV. And I, I look forward to the lineup, including you know, some of our good friends uh, who will presumably be, be appearing shortly. I mean, Trump debuted Trump TV in the middle of the debate last night. And it was, it, it, it's clear that's what this rigging talk is about, by the way. That this whole routine is not designed to win any votes. Nobody, no independent voter across the country is going, well, you know, if Trump says it's rigged, that means I'm going to vote for that guy. This is all about just the, the, the coalition of the dispossessed. It's about creating a grievance culture where people think that the real reason Trump lost wasn't because he's the worst major party candidate in presidential history. No, the real reason he lost is because there are all these evil media people and evil pollsters and evil voting fraud uh, gurus and, and the never-Trumpers who combined to stop him. And the only way that you're going to be able to fight back against those people is by paying 1099 a month to watch Laura Ingram talk to Sean Hannity about the, the wonders of Donald Trump. So, Ben, how, how, how does this actually shape up at the end? Because he is not going away. As you said, during the debate uh, two nights ago, he was um, uh, debuting Trump TV. The BBC even tweeted that. Are we watching the beginning of Trump TV? It was clear that was the prototype broadcast of what is coming. Um, and th- he's not going away. And the reason why... He hit Hillary as hard as he did was was not to expand his base, which he had to do. It was to make sure that his base was diehard for him. They are going to say that it was rigged. They're going to blame it on the GOP. They're going to blame it on the media. They're going to blame it on people like you, people like me. And a good portion of those people are going to believe that from from now until the end of time. Is yeah, there... and, and that was that's the scam, you know. That that was Steve Bannon's scam, you know, when he moved over from Breitbart. I said it immediately on them hiring him that, that Bannon is too smart not to have a backup plan. His backup plan is if Trump loses, they convert you know a million or two million of the big Trump fans into a subscriber base for some sort of TV network. That was that was always the plan here. I mean, Trump is not a great businessman. He's a great branding magnate. His his brand is ruined internationally because of all the things that he's done and said in this election cycle. But that doesn't mean you can't make a lot of money off of the diehards. Who they're, they're attempting to increase the number of diehards here by suddenly mirroring all the Tea Party language that, that Trump despised at the time, but suddenly he's a Tea Partier because they're trying to grab onto that audience, hold them tight, and then claim the real reason that, that people have, have moved away from him is not because he's not conservative enough, not because he has no values. The reason that people moved away from him is, of course, because he's just too tough and we're too, and, and we're too wimpy to, to really take the fight to the enemy. So with with Steve Bannon, who is and you worked for him for years um, or worked with him for years, one of the more despicable men alive. Would you <laughs> agree? Yeah, I'm not a Steve Bannon fan. <laughs> yeah. OK. Is, is, uh, so yeah, so, he's, a, he's a bad guy. Right. A really bad guy. Um, he is he is he will use. I don't know if he believes in the alt right, but he is certainly willing to use the alt right for fuel. This is going to be a very bad chemistry lab experiment uh, that that can that could blow the conservative movement sky high. Uh, how do we navigate around this? How do we? How do you? How do you expose what's coming and what and what they're going to be doing? 
Well, I mean, I think the only thing that we can do is, of course, tell the truth about what's going on, which this is sort of the final con and what has been a con of a, of a campaign. But beyond that, I think that we also have to make clear some stuff that you've been saying, Glenn, I think has been useful in this respect, and, and I've been trying to say the same thing. My, my hard feelings are not with the people who feel like they have to vote for Donald Trump in order to stop Hillary Clinton. I totally understand right. that logic. I you do, know, too. They, but I think that, that you know, I wake up every morning trying to figure out for myself on a personal level, is that logic that predominates over, over other logic that suggests you can't vote for this guy? I will, they, hang on they, just a second. Before, before, hang on, before you say any more, was there a time, any, any, any time at all in the first 10 minutes a couple of nights ago on the debate when you heard her talk about the Constitution, the Supreme Court, the Second Amendment, and abortion, that before he started talking, that you said, I've, I, I have to consider voting for Donald Trump. She is awful. Yeah, I mean, pretty much every time she opens her mouth, I have to consider right. voting for Trump. I right. mean, and I think that that's true for virtually everybody who considers I agree. himself never Trump. You know, and that's he, why, he, and I think that's why both of us and, and all of us we do not condemn anyone who is voting for Donald Trump. We get it. We totally get it. Unless you were part right, of exactly. the alt-right that, you know, when you had 16 others in front of you, I, I don't understand that. Right. And, and even if you had 16 others in front of you, but you weren't following the news that closely, and all you saw was sort of the headlines that he's going to be a fight. Yeah, but if you're somebody who acted because you were sort of a nationalist populist and you want that to replace constitutional conservatism that, that's always driven the Republican Party or has since the Reagan era, then that, that's the part I don't understand. I, I think that what you're seeing is sort of a preemptive strike from a lot of the Trumpkins, uh, the, the Bannons of the world, saying, look, we know we're going to go down in flames here, but we have to make it seem as though people like Beck and Shapiro and people who aren't going to vote for Trump are sneering at you, like they're, they're looking down their nose at you for voting Trump. I'm not looking down my nose at anybody. I've made a personal calculation. I've never said to anybody, I'm encouraging you not to vote for Donald Trump. I have said that here's my, you know, here's my calculation why I'm not voting for Trump. I think that watching him take the, the heart out of the Republican Party over the last year alone is good evidence that he's going to do much worse over the next eight years and put the Republican Party into the Steve Bannon alt-right. And that is something that I'm not going to, to stand around for. But, you know, that said, I, I understand the differing risk assessments that people have. Garrett, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the Civil War, is, the civil war is, is entirely a creation of, of the Bannon-Trump brigade. They want the Civil War. Neither you nor I want the Civil War. We, we would like to see us come together and actually fight the left. Listen, the reason that I opposed Trump in the primary is because I thought he's an agent of the left. I still think yeah. that he's a leftist in, in his heart. I do, too. I don't think he's an, a, a, you know, I don't think you meant that literally. But there are some that, I mean, and I think you could make a pretty strong case that Bill Clinton, you know, called him up a week before and was like, hey, Don, I know you're thinking about it. You should do it, you know, because it'll be good for your brand and you'll be able to have fun. And, you know, you, you're, you know, it'll help. You'll be able to clean yeah, I mean, up those crazies on the right. Look, I don't think Trump's a plant, but if he if he were, I'm not sure he'd be acting much differently than he has been for the past Correct. few months. Uh, he, Correct. He, I think that he's just, I think Trump's an ad hoc guy who who's never really thought about politics very much. What he does think is about an inch deep. He has no ties to the Constitution. He has no ties to conservatism. And so he's this sort of reactionary who doesn't so, like some of the stuff that he saw from Barack Obama. That's all. So let's just assume that the polls don't change because he didn't have a game-changing uh, debate. And let's say the polls are accurate, which is still an if, uh, and uh, Donald Trump loses. We know what he's going to do. He's going to start Trump TV. There will be a, you know, an alt-right party that grows out of this. Let's talk about how do we come together enough to stop Hillary Clinton? Because that's, 
that's going to be the important part. And I will tell you, because some show hosts have said, I will never come together with you. I will condemn you for uh, you, you know, losing the vote for Donald Trump. So how do we get together and stand together as a block to block Hillary if she wins? You know, I think that we're going to have to ignore the slings and arrows. I think that, that unfortunately, this, this is the situation. There's a, there's a phrase in, in the Jewish prayers of this where it talks about, let my soul be as God to the people who criticize I think there's going to have to be some of that. I think that, yeah, we're going to admit, it's your hang on, hang Hillary on. was elected. Ben, you're going to have to, I don't know if you... I don't know if you just walked into another room or something, but um, no. you broke up. Can you can you tell us? You st- we lost you at the Brit- the uh, the uh, Jewish prayer. Yeah, can you hear me now? Is that better? Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. So, so the, the, there's a part of the Jewish prayer service where it talks about you know let my soul be as dust to people who criticize me, and I think that we're going to have to adopt that that idea because we're going to get hit with blame for Hillary because everybody who selected Trump in the primaries and backed him so ardently, they have to shift the blame somewhere. We're just going to have to keep the focus. We're going to have to ignore it. We're just going to have to keep the focus where it ought to be, which is on attacking the left, attacking Hillary Clinton. And, and look, I think that the, the recriminations are going to last longer than they did after 2012. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it is amazing. I don't remember after 2012 the, the, the whole Republican, a large swath of the Republican Party turning on the, the Trump people who didn't show up for Romney and saying it's your fault Romney wasn't elected. But the, the Trump people, some of them, are going to do it to us this time. But – you know, I, I think that that fades away over time. People have short memories, and the only thing that's going to matter is how do we stop Hillary's agenda. So alliances of convenience, as the Republican Party has shown, are not foreign to the Republican Party or a lot of people who are in it. Ben, this is uh, Stu, and it's very rare that we have award-winning journalists on this program. Um, you have won the award for the number one journalistic target of anti-Semitism on the Internet. Congratulations. Uh, did Thank you, you want to give us uh, a... <laughs> I mean, you look. You have to look at this. I mean, it, a it must be just a, a nightmare to even sign on to, to Twitter or any of these places these days with this stuff going on. I mean, this is I mean, not only were you the number one target of anti-Semitism; it was by a really, really large margin. Uh, I, I know what it's like, Ben, to sign on for me. The things that they say. My wife. Uh, blew a gasket uh, the, the other day. I just got an email, and she said, you are never talking to another person in the press ever, ever again. <laughs> I don't care who it is. I don't care what happens. You're never talking to another member of the press. Um, and uh, I can't imagine what it's like to be you with the anti-Semitism that is going on. How are you dealing with it? Uh, you know, at a certain point, you sort of tune it out because you have to. But you know, at the, when, when on the day of your baby's birth, you're getting notes from you know people who write for Breitbart, you know, that are that are you know especially racist, and then you get and then you get other notes from people that are just pictures of gas chambers and talk about cockroaches and and I hope the four of you die in a gas chamber that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's, it, at a certain point, it, it it moves from the mildly irritating to the actually upsetting. I mean, I, I've received according to that ADL survey, there were something like twenty thousand anti-Semitic tweets directed at, at American journalists since March, and I was the recipient of nearly 8,000 of those. So, uh, you know, at a certain point, it, 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 it's kind of amazing that, that there are that many people who think you're that important to their lives. They're going to do that. And my feeling has always been that if you're pissing off the, the mouth-breathing Jew haters, then you're doing something right. So uh, it, didn't, it didn't bother me on any moral level. Uh, but I will tell you that it is pretty clear that it's, it's coordinated. I mean, there were certain spike points where, where people – 
you know, did it based on the news cycle. There were a couple of accounts that were taken off of Twitter. I'm, by the way, I'm not an advocate of taking people off Twitter for anti-Semitism. I retweet these people because I think it's important to expose them. But there are a couple of people who were taken off of Twitter when Milo Yiannopoulos was, was booted off of Twitter, which I didn't advocate for. When, when that happened, the amount of anti-Semitism in my feed dropped by at least 50 percent. Uh, so, this, you know, when, wow. when people ask, why are you concerned mm-hmm. about the, the, the Breitbart alt-right movement, why are you worried about, about Trump, you know, being kind of infused with that? Well, it's because the major players in that movement are a problem. I mean, they, they, they believe some pretty terrible things, and our fellow travelers are people who believe even worse things. Ben, I, um, I have to tell you, we've, we've been a fan of yours for a very long time, but this, um, this last year... Um, has really shown people's colors. And um, I don't know if the, the people who read you or listen to you on the radio understand um, the uh, difficulty uh, that you have put up with and, and anybody who has taken this stand. It's a very, very brave thing to do. And um, we've been watching you for the last year, and we are, we're really impressed, really impressed. Can I, can I switch well, topics? Go, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's high praise coming from you, obviously, because of the people who have taken a lot of hits in this election cycle, you're definitely number one on that list. So uh, it's, it's, it's been brutal, and I'm just hoping that after this election cycle we can move into a period where people actually go back to principle instead of sort of the tribal fight that they've, they've wanted to engage in. Yeah. Can you hang for a minute? Because you also have started another project that I think is, um, uh, is really interesting, and I'd love for you to share with the audience. Do you have time to stay? Sure. That'd be great. Okay, great. Um, and now this. You have a right to defend yourself and your family. Now, you're, you're going on a date. You're, you're going out to the grocery store. Are you carrying an AR? Everybody is concerned about the AR. Whenever they talk about gun bans, everybody goes and runs and gets their AR. Did you hear what she was talking about just the other night? She was not talking about an AR. She brought an AR up. But the example she kept talking about over and over again was the toddlers getting their hands on handguns. Handguns. May I suggest you want a shotgun in your pocket, something that is is small enough to put into my pocket, and it is a double-barrel shotgun, really it is, uh, and small enough to uh, fit on my wife's hip or in her purse. 25 different barrels fit every Bond Arms pistol, and you can use 14 different calibers. I urge you to check out what they have at Bond Arms. For personal protection, you want a gun that is going to stop any threat dead in its tracks. This is a hand cannon. Do your homework, decide what kind of gun is best for you, and visit bondbeck.com. That's B-O-N-D-Beck.com. Bondbeck.com. Glenn Beck program. 888727 Back. Mercury. The Glenn Beck Program. Ben Shapiro is uh, with us. Ben, you've written a novel. You want to tell us about it? Sure, that'd be great. The novel's called True Allegiance, and it sort of takes all of the political crises we're facing in the country and ratchets them up 
by a factor of about 50%, and it talks about what the dissolution of the country would look like. And the reason that I wrote it as fiction as opposed to writing sort of a nonfiction book on what the future looks like is mainly because, I mean, and Glenn, I know you've been a proponent of this for a long time. Andrew Breitbart, my, my mentor, my former mentor, was a, was a proponent of this as well. The idea that culture is upstream of politics. And if you tell yeah. in a story what you can't necessarily say in nonfiction, you know, here's one possible future. Here's how bad things are on everything from the border to government's encroachments on land rights to race relations in inner cities, then people are more likely to, to read it and take it seriously, oddly enough, than they are to take a nonfiction book about the same topic seriously. Plus, you, you end up with more readers. Ayn Rand is more for capitalism probably than Milton Friedman did just because there's so many more people who read Atlas Shrugged. So the idea was to, to take all of these crises, stack them up one on another, and say, okay, see how, how close are we really to, to everything collapsing. And I have to say, I wrote the thing, you know, maybe a year and a half ago. I started writing it. I completed it probably a year ago. And since then, half the stuff in the book came true. So it turns out that I thought it was all, you know, 30 years away, and it may only be about 15 years away, which is a little scary. I, I did, I tell you, I did the same thing. Um, we published, uh, what was it, Eye of Moloch. I don't remember what it was. Uh, oh, it was the NSA stuff. The Eye of Moloch it was a novel that I wrote, and it was about the spying on American citizens and how the NSA was going to do this and everything else. And I wrote it. It took about, you know, it took about a year and a half to write. And uh, we put it out. And the day it came out was the day that I think the WikiLeaks story broke. We're like, good heavens, man. This is supposed to be in the future. Uh, it, it's, oh, yeah. it's amazing. It is incredible how the future has, has accelerated. I mean, all of the worst fictional things that I talk about in True Allegiance, again, a lot of them came true. Like I wrote about major race riots in an American city and the attempt by the race rioters to kind of mainstream their politics into the politics of the upper echelon of the city. And obviously that's now been happening in pretty much every major Democrat-controlled city in America. Uh, Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. I have to take a quick break. Come back and just tell us the things that you, that are in the book and uh, what the solutions are, if there are any. I'd like to hear your version of what's coming in America. Next, Ben Shapiro. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Shapiro, the biggest target for anti-Semitism in America today. Uh, he is an amazingly brave man uh, and a, a brilliant, brilliant mind. And I'm glad he's on our side um, because I'd hate to see him use his power for evil. Um, ben Shapiro is with us. He's got a uh, he's got a new book. Is it out this week? Uh, yeah, it's coming out next week. So, so okay. you can pre-order it now. Okay. True uh, allegiance. True allegiance. Tell me tell me about um the the scenarios that you put in the book that you thought were 30 years away. So, I mean, the, the one that I talk about at length is a major race riot breaking out in a in a major American city and the government led by the president of the United States 
uh, essentially pushing the notion that the that the governments, the local government, should give in to the race rioters and allow them to take leadership of the of the local government. And obviously, we've seen things along those lines from from the presidents of the United States. I talk about precipitous pullout from a country, in this case Afghanistan, that leads to the rise of a major terrorist group that hooks up with Iran to start pursuing nuclear terrorism. And, you know, it turned out I had the wrong country. The precipitous pullout from Iraq is what caused the, the rise in ISIS. But uh, the idea of a precipitous pullout causing a rise in a major terrorist group, I, I wrote that before the rise of ISIS. Uh, I talked about the, the idea of raids across the southern border from Mexican drug cartels causing tensions on the border such that the governor of Texas has to start disobeying the federal government in, in attempts to enforce the border, causing serious conflict between the state of Texas and, and the president of the United States. Obviously, you can see that beginning to materialize yeah, now with ben, all the about the southern border. Ben, ben, this isn't 30 years in the future. This was Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that, that's why I have to sell it now, because it'll be, right. it'll be a history book. It's a history book very soon. Now. So, yeah, so, so, I mean, it, so how do... How do I mean, you know, and I don't want you to tell me the whole story, but but is there a solution to these problems that you see? Are you in this novel? Are you proposing solutions? Well, I mean, there, there's there's some solutions, and, and I think the number one solution that I sort of propose is that everybody start relying on basic human decency, which I know sounds ridiculous, but that's that's what we've come down to in this country: is are we going to have a country founded on individual decency, or are we going to have a country founded on everybody taking advantage of the situation at hand? Um, but the, the book does, you know, I don't want to give away the ending of the book, but I will say that not everything is resolved peachy keen because I'm not sure that everything is resolved so peachy keen easily. I think that these are, these are deep, abiding conflicts, and I think that things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. But people of principle are going to have to band together because tough times are coming. Uh, if we do that, then I think that we're going to be able to, to rebuild from, from some pretty bad things that, that are about to happen. But uh, I, I think that it, it may be, I mean, not to be a pessimist, but I think it's, it's late to forestall some of the worst things that are, that are already happening from, from taking further material effect. Ben, I was talking to a guy um, yesterday, I was having a meeting, and um, uh, a pretty famous commentator, and uh, he just stopped by the studios to say hi, and, and we were having a private conversation, and he said to me, um, um, I no longer believe people are good. He said, I, I used to. He said, I used to believe, he said, I, I've heard you say a million times, you know, you put good against evil side by side, and Americans will always pick good. He said, I don't think so. Um, do you? Uh, I, I think that unless there is a serious revival in morality in the country, I agree with your friends. And I think, by the way, our founders didn't believe that, that people were, were naturally good. I think our founders, as they say in Federalist 51, they believe that people are capable of good, they're capable of evil. That's why you can't have a government that's overpowering because the people who run it could be evil. And the only way that you're actually going to protect liberty is with a decent citizenry. Obviously, the Republican Party, conservatives have done a very poor job of maintaining the culture, maintaining the educational system, maintaining the media. And a lot of these values have dripped down all the way into, you know, what was shocking me about this election, Glenn, is that I didn't realize how far a lot of this had dripped down into our own party. You always like to think of yourself as sort of the, you're on the side of the angels and people on your own team aren't part of the tribal problem. And then you look around and you realize some of the people on your own team are, are not really on your team. And that, that, was a, that came as a, a rude awakening to me. I mean, you mentioned the anti-Semitism thing a little bit earlier. I was always of the opinion that the vast, you know, anti-Semitic left was, was a, a much bigger threat with regard to anti-Semitism than, 
in the right, I really had never seen him. Look, I'm a guy who wears a yarmulke every day. I'd never seen anti-Semitism from the right. Virtually all of the anti-Semitism I received this year was from the alt-right. So, you know, that, that came as a shock to me. I, I think that we're going to need to re-inculcate values from the most basic level with our kids because people just don't know anything about not only basic economics and basic politics, but basic decency. Because in the end, politics is just a reflection of values. When you have an entire generation of voters who are looking at Bernie Sanders is some sort of savior, and socialism is, is, is a good moral thing. And that's, that's our fault. I mean, that's, that's because we haven't done enough. And it's because my parents' generation hasn't done enough, because I have to do a better job as a father in order to, in order to rectify the breach. And that, that's going to be a long process. That's not something that happens overnight. I don't think that we're one election away from restoring the country. I think we're one generation away from restoring the country. And the, the idea that, Ray, that Reagan said that we're one, liberty's always one generation away from disappearing you know, I think that liberty is always one generation from, from restoration, but it's going to be a hard generation of work. How old are you, Ben? I'm 32. So you're a millennial. How much faith do you have in the millennials? I think that it's open in millennials. I think the millennials are bored. I think the millennials don't pay a lot of attention to politics. I think they're, they're dispossessed. They, they don't like all of the institutions. So there's not the same faith in the government and the same faith in the media that you see with, with the boomers. Uh, so there's an opening there. I think they're susceptible to basic reason, but they have to be they have to be pushed off the unearned moral superiority they feel. And I speak at probably 30 colleges a year. And when I speak at these colleges, the first thing that I do is I immediately take the feelings question off the table by basically saying, you know, you think that you're a good person because you believe these things politically. Here's why what you believe politically is actually immoral and it hurts people. And it's an argument that people who are young have never heard before because they've grown up in a milieu that's told them that the way to assure your ascent to political heaven is just by voting Democrat or by saying socialism is a great system of redistribution or by talking about white privilege. When you say, look, the, the real way to be a good person is to actually be a good person, I agree with you that when, when young people are presented with the argument for good, then they will become more good. But if they're never presented with the argument for good, then and, and they're just told the politics is politics and everybody's corrupt and the whole system's rigged and, and nobody's good in the end and then it's get yours at the table before somebody else takes it away from you. Uh, or if you're talking about the, the ultimate sacrifice that you can make is voting somebody else's money away, then you're going to go with this side that, that gives you a feeling of, of moral superiority. And failing to recognize that on the part of the right has been a mistake. Um, do you think that do you see when you're speaking out in, in universities, when you really start to teach some of these things, do you see the millennials um, at all get a little pissed that they've kind of been robbed by, by people who have been teaching them garbage? Yeah, are they ticked, are they, are they ticked at all? Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a backlash that's building. I mean, I get probably somewhere between 50 and 100 emails every day, and all from millennials, people, people who are my age or younger, who are, who are excited that they, who've watched, there, there are these videos on YouTube that have started to go viral called Ben Shapiro Thug Life videos, where somebody took, like, my kind of destroying somebody in debate, and then they put a, they put a sunglasses on me and obey hat on me, and it's, it's really ridiculous stuff, but it's become very popular with, with young folks. And I get a lot of emails from young people saying, I was never even exposed to basic actual arguments or moral arguments. And, you're, and if you speak dispassionately about what is good and true, then I think the young people resonate to that. I'm, uh, it's, it's actually one of the areas where I do have hope. I speak on enough college campuses that I have hope for young people 
I, I'm, I actually have less hope for uh, some of the some of the baby boomers than I do for people who are my own age and younger. I think a lot of people my own age and younger are still malleable. They don't know a lot. They haven't been taught a lot. Uh, and when they're made aware of, of arguments they've never heard before, they're kind of shocked by it. They're actually vulnerable in that way because they're, they're being blindsided by the truth. Ben Shapiro, always good to talk to you, sir. Thank you so much. And thanks for all of your hard work in taking such a, a hard stand. Uh, ben Shapiro, editor-in-chief of uh, DailyWire.com. Thank you so much, Ben. Really appreciate it, Glenn. You bet. Um, our uh, sponsor this half hour is uh, Goldline. Top advisor to large head funds and money managers this week said, quote, I'd argue the Great Recession was a result of massive monetary policy error. The Fed kept rates too low for too long, resulting in a housing bubble and a crash. This bled over into global markets. I believe we are again suffering from the effects of a massive monetary policy error. This error has already been committed, but we have just begun to endure the consequences. Now, when the Great Recession, if that was caused by um, keeping the rates too low for too long and pumping too much money into the system, can you imagine what is the, the swing back or the blowback from this time? Because our rates have been far too long for, uh, or far too low for far too long, almost at zero, and we've printed about $7 trillion. That's crazy. When it blows back, are you prepared? I want you to call Goldline right now and do your own homework and find out if gold or silver is right for you. It's not right for everybody, it is for my family. I don't honestly, I don't know who it's not right for, um, but having 10% of something that is uh, in your hands and that is is liquid, uh, something that is tangible and something that is historic, the thing that the it's called the gold standard for a reason. It's the it's the place the world runs to when there's economic trouble. I want you to call Goldline and read their important risk information at 866-GOLDLINE, 866-465-3546. It's 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. The Glenn Beck Program. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Okay, at the debate, at the debate, at the debate um, the other night with Donald Trump, cut 92, please. Donald Trump said this. Do you make the same commitment that you will absolutely, sir, that you will absolutely accept the result of this election? I will look at it at the time. I'm not looking at anything now. I'll look at it at the time. What I've seen, what I've seen is okay, so stop. bad. Now, First of all, this is what he said. It is 704, please. This is what he said yesterday on the campaign trail. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to make a major announcement today. I would like to promise and pledge to all of my voters and supporters and to all of the people of the United States that I will totally accept 
the results of this great and historic presidential election if I win. Now, even his supporters, obviously his supporters, mm. when they thought he was going to say yes, they were for that. So there are some that yeah. know this isn't good. But I'm going to play some audio now that I swear to you, we must have all slipped through a wormhole. Huh. And we're in some sort of another dimension. The upside down. Yes, we're in the upside down where it looks like the world we were in yesterday. But when you hear this audio, you will know we are not in the same universe we were in yesterday. We're in a parallel universe. This is what MSNBC said. The case that charges of a rigged or stolen election do not exclusively belong to Republicans. Democrats and liberals have accused the vote of being rigged or stolen for George W. Bush both in 2000 and 2004 and have done so for years. Jonathan Chait wrote in New York Magazine in 2012, yes, Bush v. Gore did steal the election. Also in 2012, Salon asked, is the GOP stealing Ohio? In 2014, Ezra Klein of Vox wrote that 68% of Americans think elections are rigged. And he said they're right in, in that article. In 2000, Jesse Jackson demanded an inquiry at the results in Florida, saying shortly after the election, 22,000 people are begging for their vote to count and for its intent to be realized. This last vote caused a crisis in the credibility of this election. This is a crisis of integrity. We, the American people, deserve better. We should settle for nothing less. In 2006, Rolling Stone published a lengthy article asking, was the 2004 election stolen? They also published the interview uh, with Howard Dean, which said this. Howard said this. I'm not confident that the election in Ohio was fairly decided. We know that there was substantial voter suppression and the machines were not reliable. It should not be a surprise that the Republicans are willing to do things that are unethical to manipulate elections. That's what we suspect has happened. And we'd like to safeguard our elections so that democracy can still be counted to, on to work. That is unbelievable. What the hell is that? Why are wow. they doing That's that? MSNBC. I mean, they're totally right. They're totally. Oh, yeah. Have you ever said that before? No. That's amazing. And they deserve credit for that because, I mean, they deserve a lot, a lot of credit. Of the media has jumped to, wow, what are you talking about? They're not the same at all. Al Gore conceded the second the Supreme Court ruled on it. Yeah. Well, he pushed it to its legal limits. Then he conceded. Then he ran since that day, introdu- being introduced as the, uh, I used yeah. to be the next president of the United States. Right. He's been beating that. But it wasn't even Al Gore. It was all, it was the machine. Everybody Michael was, Moore, yeah. all of it. Yeah. By the way, and for uh, MSNBC to do that, I, I honestly, what, it, it, seriously, they've either had a streak of honesty here or we slipped through a wormhole, and I think that is much more likely. Well, the wormhole is more likely. I mean, yeah. you can try to come I mean, up with we, these weird somehow. justifications for it, but the wormhole is the most likely <laughs> right. I mean, uh, thing. Uh, by the way, 2004, that Ohio election was 118,000 votes. It was not 500 votes, 536 or whatever it was in Florida, 538. Uh, It was 118,000 votes. And then they did a recount, and it was uh, still over 118,000 votes. Uh, so that was not a close so what election. Is there, what, is your, what is your theory on this? When I was, you were saying, why are they doing this? I was thinking maybe they're doing I, it so that they can prove that the country didn't fall apart. Plus they hate they Trump. They weren't fighting. Yeah, they weren't fighting. 
And so maybe they think that, you know, Trump is, I mean, Trump is trying to hate Trump. This is I think not, they hate Trump now. Mika, this is not Joe a, and Mika don't like Trump. And right, so, but this, this helps him. No, be, I don't no. think it does. It, there's, because. It does. Yeah, it does. It helps him because they're saying, see, others have said this. This isn't so bad, media. I, 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 I don't no. know why they're saying it. <laughs> so I'm glad. No, I just can't figure it out. Wormhole. Mercury. Well, we know the Constitution is under attack uh, ever since Obama took office. He really has uh, done a lot of work, and we haven't been watching him lately. We, you know, you kind of, the when you don't watch him every single day, you kind of forget all the stuff that this guy has done. I mean, look back at the last eight years. Remember what has happened. And, you know, it's really come from both sides of the aisle. You need somebody who doesn't care about what party is in office to fight against the regulations that they are passing. You need... People in your corner to watch behind closed doors when they're passing stuff that they don't report in the papers. You need FreedomWorks. FreedomWorksForMe.com is the place to go to pledge to help fight Obama's regulatory state. And whoever gets in office next, the regulatory state they're going to take, maintain, and expand. A recently released study says that taxes cost less than regulation. You need FreedomWorks to to help fight this. FreedomWorksForMe.com. Go right now. FreedomWorksForMe.com. FreedomWorksForMe.com. We have the candidate, America, that you've been waiting for. Her name is Sharonda Fox. Yes. Yes. She is actually running for president of the United States, and you're going to love her. She has a plan. We're going to talk to her in a minute. She has a plan to spend $17 trillion in the first year in office. And it won't cost you a dime. Yeah, that's the secret. Who's going to pay for it? Mexico. She says the illegals are going to pay for it. You, you don't know her name, Sharonda Fox, but I'll tell you after this interview, everybody will be talking about her this weekend. And we'll tell you why the Democratic operative who is stepping back due to some evidence that he incited violence at the Trump rallies should have stepped back years ago. We're going to take you back in the time machine and show you that we pointed this man out as a danger to the system back in 2009 and we start there right now the fusion of entertainment and enlightenment this is the glenn I'm going to take you back to December 8th, 2009, transcript of the show on that day. We were talking about a guy who is in the news now. He is a guy who has stepped back. He has been fired because he's the guy in the James O'Keefe video that where they're talking about starting violence at the Trump rallies and the violence that happened in Chicago. We, I'm telling you, we, we can see over the horizon 
not because of prophecy, but because you have to be able to take people at their word. Now, this is so old. I'm going to read the transcript to you. This is such an old monologue. Well, you'll know how old it is just in the first paragraph. Quote, I've been telling you for a while now, you've got to watch the other hand with these people in Washington. Thank goodness BigGovernment.com and Andrew Breitbart are always watching, as are we. <laughs> wow. Listen, this shows you even it's older than you think. He was not it's, only alive. We were but, friendly with him. Andrew called me yesterday mm-hmm. to alert me wow. to a story that he was breaking. Mm-hmm. It's just broke about five minutes that. ago. Um, start your watches. See when the mainstream media actually covers this story. The rest of the world is paying attention to the White House dinner crashers, right? The woman in the red dress. The journalist apparently didn't feel it necessary to comb through the rest of the guest list. If they did, perhaps they would have noticed a convicted felon who is also on this list. They're good times. Jeffy wasn't even with us yet. Uh, oh, gosh, that was awesome. Remember those days? I've told you about this felon before. His name is Robert Creamer. I showed you his beliefs. He's a disciple of the radical Saul Alinsky, and that's not me saying it, that's him saying it in his book that he wrote in prison. And President Obama seems to be following the guidelines of this book. It's hard to get the book. Yes, it's difficult. All the copies, I believe, are probably at the White House. (laughs) Now, some will say, well, that's just a coincidence. Like I've said, really? So let's do the journalist's jobs for them once again. Since they're not doing it, we'll report on Creamer's history. See if any of this sounds familiar. Let's start with the convicted felon part. First of all, he was a lobbyist, the executive director for an Illinois public action fund. Yes, it's great. It's kind of like Acorn. He was later indicted in federal court on 16 counts of bank fraud in excess of $2 million. Again, kind of like Acorn. He pleaded guilty to one count of failure to collect withholding tax and bank fraud for writing checks with insufficient funds. In 2006, he was sentenced and served a year year and a half in federal prison and house arrest. Got it? Yet another progressive who dedicates their life to forcing higher taxes on the people and then avoids paying them. Of course, he's now at the White House. Then a guy with such values and morals that he has no problem completely ripping off the nonprofit entity that he's working for. After jail, he went back to work for the progressive cause, working for the little people, i.e. the people he was stealing from. Was he shunned by his peers? No, quite the opposite. His consulting firm, Strategic Consulting Group, is on the rise and boasts an impressive roster of clients. You may have heard of some of their names. The AFL-CIO, the United Steelworkers Union of America. I can feel the magnets in my hand as I was putting them up. Acorn, and say it with me, SEIU. It's weird, isn't it? I mean, these were all the people trying to create jobs just last week at the job summit. I wonder if they knew. The book this guy wrote while on, as he calls it, forced sabbatical. I like to call it prison. (laughs) He writes that he has uh, not been mocked by other progressives. In fact, he's been endorsed. Let me give you some of the few glowing reviews. First of all, from Andy Stern. Surprise, surprise, SEIU. He says the book will hopefully inspire more people to act or write in prison, perhaps. (laughs) Then there's John Podesta. 
hey, isn't that the guy who, yes, I think Van Jones now works for John Podesta, Center for American Progress. He says the book is just a straight-up shot in the arm for progressives. Then there's the founder of MoveOn.org who says it's an inspirational and serious tool for the progressive agenda. Ariana Huffington says the book will return America to its progressive roots. The member of the Congressional Black Caucus, we've got the Progressive Caucus, Congressman John Lewis. He says the book will help create our society's next historic movement. Then there's a a member of the U.S. Subcommittee on Health, Congressman Lloyd Doggett. He says this book is a blueprint for victory. Uh Uh-huh. And last but not least, our very, very good friend on this program, longtime friend and top Obama advisor, David Axelrod. It's weird because he says almost the same thing the congressman just said. He says the book is a blueprint for the future victories. David Axelrod, a prison plan being a blueprint. The one that the White House seems to be using. The one that the left is using. The one that has all of the things that the White House has been doing to scare people into health care. Still believe in coincidence? No, I didn't think you did. Now, this is from the audio from another uh, monologue uh, that we did at that time about the guy who is now being um, brushed off by the DNC, and he's a nobody. Well, I don't know that much about him. They know exactly who he was, who he is, and what he was doing. Because as I exposed in 2009, Robert Creamer was writing blueprints. Creamer in his prison plan writes, to win, we must not just generate understanding, but emotion, fear, revulsion, anger, and disgust. Have they done that? Stop for that second. same diabetic. Now, let me ask you this. Fear, revulsion, and disgust. When you saw... When you saw the fighting in Chicago, I felt fear, oh my gosh, it's 1968, revulsion, these people are pigs, disgust, I don't want anything to do with anybody and any party. That's his blueprint. Now, his blueprint, David Axelrod, at the time, was using those things for health care. Listen. Ends up getting their foot amputated. Oh, my God. That's $30,000, dollars $50,000. Immediately, the surgeon is reimbursed. You know what? I make a lot more money if I take this kid's tonsils out. Now, desperate Republicans and their well-funded allies are organizing angry mobs, just like they did during the election. Wow, angry mobs and oh, fear? Disgust? Obama and Pelosi have dealt in the politics of fear since the inauguration, while accusing the right of doing that. The Obama administration is trying to stir up emotion, revulsion, and fear to peddle this massive government takeover for the progressive plan developed in prison. In the process, they have seemingly followed his plan from a convicted felon. They have followed it to the letter. All of them. All of them have been done. Is That's got to be a coincidence. How, what are the odds? Can somebody in Vegas... Steve Wynn, you watching? Can you compute the odds of this and tell me what the odds are of this going right in Vegas? What a coincidence, huh? Oh, and by the way, another pure coincidence you'll see here in the acknowledgments right at the beginning. Here. 
He actually says, hey, by the way, Saul Alinsky, you're an inspiration. Huh. Another pure coincidence that Creamer predicted all of this would happen in 2009 after a progressive president was elected. And then he went right to work after he got out of prison for the Obama campaign, trained volunteers at Camp Obama. Whoa, what an amazing coincidence that he was at the White House with these guys at the first state dinner. Wow. I'm pretty sure convicted felons are usually barred from such events. At least somebody would raise a flag there. But nobody noticed. Well. Really remarkable. Yeah, and by the really way, remarkable. Jen Schakowsky's husband. Yep. Yeah, yeah, remember? Yeah. 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 So, now, Donna Brazil. Here's how Donna Brazil was handling all of this yesterday, uh, or the day before yesterday, on uh, Megyn Kelly. It was one of the more... Did you see it, Jeffy? I watched most of that. This was yeah. one of the more fascinating Jeez. train wrecks I've ever seen. She was, she was talking to Megyn Kelly, and she kept calling her Kelly. Um, and I think she actually thought... I felt that way. Her name was Kelly. Yes. 695. Here we go. You got the WikiLeaks released a March 12th Podesta email showing you messaging the Clinton campaign with the exact wording of a question asked at the March 13th CNN TV1 town hall debate. Where did you get it? You know, as a Christian woman, I understand persecution, but I will not sit here and be persecuted because your information is totally false. What you're telling the American people... I'm getting it from Podesta's email. Well, Podesta's emails were stolen. You're so interested in talking about stolen so you material. Deny you're it. like you're like a thief that want to bring into uh. the night the things that you found that was in the gutter. I'm not. Let Donna, me just tell you what I CNN's said CNN's Jake Tapper Kelly. came out and said this was unethical. Somebody was unethically helping the Clinton campaign. He said, "I love Donna Brazil, but this is very, very upsetting." And I love, My understanding I love is that CNN the email to I Donna Brazil. He. This is Jake Tapper. Serious, My serious. understanding is that the email to Donna Brazil came from either Roland Martin or someone around Roland Martin. Roland. He's said this is very upsetting and very troubling that's your own colleague at cnn it's not megan kelly who gave you that question uh, hey megan once again <laughs> i've said it and i've said it on the record and i'll say it on the record and i'll keep saying it on the record i am not going to try to validate falsified information wow and, and, she, and again she, so she did this she did this yesterday on the chicago thing and said, this guy, this is nothing. They, he's, he's stepped back for a while. He was fired. It shows, well, James O'Keefe, he's a criminal. She said, you know, it's just because you have a criminal in your office. And Megyn Kelly said, you mean Robert Creamer? I don't know what you're to know. James O'Keefe. Yeah, the criminal in the office is Robert Creamer. And this is what he does. Now, I am, I am a guy who am, I am skeptical of O'Keefe's uh, videos only because I can never, not to, to accuse him of anything, only because I can't get raw edits or we couldn't get raw edits, right. you know, without edits in the past. Then at some point he did give, you know, he did show a, a, a raw version that wasn't edited and it matched. But until I see the full unedited tape, I don't want to ever support or deny that it's true. I happen to believe this because this is who this guy is. This is what he says they have to do. This is a long time uh, blueprint 
put into action by Robert Creamer. Right. And then he, you're correct. Of course, he is the criminal in the office. He also found his way to another office, the Oval Office, 342 times in Obama's presidency. 47 of those times specifically meeting with Barack Obama. I mean, why on earth would you have a felon coming to the, to the White House 342 times? The Oval Office is no longer, it's just no longer a place of honor. It's just not. It's just not. I mean, they're renting it out to us to do the radio show every day. Yeah. And that just that in and of itself. Right, right. You remember how we used to feel about the Oval Office? Oh, I mean, I can remember you going back to, that was one of your big things when the last Clinton was president, when we first started doing the show. I mean, beyond the fact that you didn't like that he lied to the American people and all the things that happened, the biggest he part... He did what he did occasionally in, in the, the Oval, Oval Office. office. And, and that was the respect for that office is, the, is one of the reasons you spoke so highly of Ronald Reagan. It, I mean, he loved his policies, too. But, I mean, the fact that he would take his... I, I remember he would put his jacket on every time he went into the Oval Office. But it's Saturday mornings. Well, he, he Saturday. Remember, when we first got this set, when we first started using it for radio, uh, we had it in the back of the studio. And we had, uh, we had barriers, so you couldn't go there unless you were going to use it. And, and the original plan was you can't enter this replica without a jacket on. A and remember jacket. I used to say... Remember that? Remember I used to say... I don't, I don't want ever the cameras to ever shoot me um, if we're laughing or joking about stuff with the right. Oval Office behind it. Oh, that went away because the actual Oval Office means nothing to anybody. <laughs> nothing anymore. Why should the replica? It really means nothing anymore. You're right. It's really sad. It is. Really sad. It is. And now this. You want to protect your family. You want to protect your home. But you also know that times are tight. And you got to save money. You have to find the best way to do it. Now you're not going to you're not going to chintz on on protection. You have to go out and look for the best value, the biggest bang for your buck. When it comes to home security systems, Simply Safe will save you up to twenty percent on your homeowner's insurance. So just that alone is is worth twenty percent. But with Simply Safe, the monitoring is only fourteen ninety nine a month. Now, when's, if you have monitoring, what are you paying for it now? And if you have monitoring, how long is your contract? And if you have monitoring, do you own the system? And if you have monitoring, monitoring, can you switch to another company, or do they have to come in and change the system with all of the wires? And if you do want to look at a system, are they going to send somebody to your house, and then they're in your house, and you'll chew your arm up, you'll sign any contract, just to get them to leave you alone. This is completely different with Simply Safe. Easy to install, completely wireless. You own the system. You can take it with you when you move. And it's $14.99 a month. No long-term contract. Protect your home the smart way. And on your homeowner's insurance, most homeowner's insurance will give you 20% discount on your insurance. Do it now. SimplySafeBeck.com. Go there now. SimplySafeBeck.com. Glenn. Program. So glad that you are here. 
Thank you. Uh, UMass has a flow chart now for um, offensive Halloween costumes. Oh, good. Yeah. Finally. It's oh, a no. flow chart called Finally. the Simple Costume Racism Evaluation and Assessment Meter. It allows uh, students to determine if their costume is offensive based on factors like race, historically accepted cliches, and humor. Uh, the I love when humor has a chart. Oh, you know, it's oh my funny gosh. when a chart from an yes. institution. They should send that down to the University of Florida. They should they send it counseling. to Yuck Yucks and Milk Through Your Nose so the comedians can look at that chart before they go on. The results come up in a five-second color-coded area, similar to the government's terror alert level, ranking from low threat level to green to a severe level of threat in red. Uh-oh. Um, the uh, flyers are going up around the campus. They have pictures or illustrations. Oh, no. The pictures. Hang on, i got to give everybody a trigger warning. Oh, no. Okay, no. i got to give you a trigger warning. I might say something that might upset you guys. I'm in a safe space over here, so I okay. can't be offended. I will tell you. Do not offend me. I do, I'm glad I don't go to this college because I would. if I was walking and I saw this on a telephone pole, Right, and it was just a picture, a flyer that was just stapled up, and that was no trigger warning that they, you know, on a poll there might be something offensive. I would be, and I apologize to Polish people. I was not talking. I mean, a telephone poll. I didn't mean to say, Didn't mean just to say poll. Thank you for the clarification. Thank you. Well, you're, I, I was about to become very, very offended. You're welcome. Are you Polish? Uh, the flyers around campus have pictures of illustrations of white people dressed up as Native Americans. Oh no! Once, oh my! Yeah, God. Once, that is cultural appropriation. Exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, one reads, "It's not cool. Not cool. It's not like your ancestors killed them or anything." Only it is. They're being sarcastic because our ancestors did kill them. Right. And everything. So another poster of a scantily clad woman says hypersexualized racism is still racism. Hypersexualized racism is still racism. It is. What if you have a what if you're a white guy and you have your girlfriend is white and she's dressed up as a hot white nurse? Or a white hot nurse. Oh, that's still hypersexualized. Hypersexualized sexism. Yeah. It's not racism. It's sexism in that case, Glenn. Thank you, my friend. Disappointed in you that what you if... see that. Oh, boy. Disappointed. Other displays on cultural appropriation contradict one another. One flyer says cultural appropriation is an act of privilege, leads to offensive, inaccurate, and stereotypical portrayals of other people's culture. Another flyer says that culture is fluid. Oh. Yeah. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Okay, in just a few minutes, we're going to share with you an interview with one of the greatest candidates of all time. Now, people have been saying, Glenn, who are you going to vote for? Sure, I could go to just any third party, but I'd be lying to you uh, with anybody else because those people are, the, the, you know, we all know the third party candidates are not going to win. This woman, Sharonda Fox is truly remarkable. Sharonda, I believe, is the... Uh, What's her name? Sharonda Fox. Sharonda. Sharonda, yeah. Uh, well, I call her Sharonda. Oh, okay. That's, that's, I, did, I didn't realize you so, had yeah. that relationship. Oh, my gosh, no. 
So uh, she has been um, controlling the economy and running the economy for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Now, some might think that she's nuts. I mean, those people are idiots. I mean, are you getting your information from whom? Probably uh, Hillary Clinton. Yeah, one of the Hillary opponents, yeah, uh, okay, yeah. of course. Um, but she is a really nice, she's very nice. She may not see the world in exactly the same way that uh, most we, people do, but that's because she's, she's, uh, she's, she's special. She's special. She Thank thinks, it, she's mm-hmm. good. hey, it's going to take somebody thinking out of the box on this one. And this is out of the box stuff. Right. So she has actually dumped how many how much money? Two billion dollars? Oh, two trillion. Two trillion. Two trillion dollars. That was years ago. Yeah, two trillion dollars in, uh, in of her own money um, into the economy here recently. By the way, she's dead serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's dumped uh, two trillion dollars of her own money uh, into the economy here recently, and that's the only reason why in two thousand eight the crash, uh, you know, didn't happen. Now they have. Apparently, now we can't find any record of this death, but apparently her husband was killed by Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump um, to stop her. Well, there's been treason and there's been genocide. Yeah, and you, you bring up little stuff that she'll 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 touch on that. Nobody cares okay. about you bring up stuff um, nobody cares about. Glenn. I right. mean, we, we tried to get to the policy issues. Right. <laughs> right. Because right. obviously she had uh, issues with her divorce burn. Obviously for 28 years. So we're going to get into all this with with Sharonda here in a little while. And it's important. You need to hear from her because she, uh, at least according to her, is the next president of the United States. Like it's actually already been decided. Already happened. And she'll tell you why. Probably gets into her. Tell you why. And it makes sense. It all makes sense. She has one of the most ambitious plans ever devised in the history of our country. If I may, I'm going to give you a little hint on it. She wants to spend 17 trillion (laughs) dollars, which is our entire national debt. That sounds like a lot of money. To some, yeah, to some. And at one time it was. Right. Remember when that was a lot of money? Yeah. Yeah. At one time so that was she real money. Said, but she, she has an interesting way of paying for it. You are not going to have to worry about it. Yeah. No, she fair. has a way to pay for the $17 trillion that she's going to spend. And I think you're going to, I think you're going to like it. I love her. And we're going to be talking to her here in just a minute. Yeah. So she yeah. is awesome. Out of the box, Lincoln. Um, can we tell, we haven't t- spent any real time on polls today. Yes. And, and partially that's for, by design because you have a big debate. The polls, they're in the field now. We won't really know them until next week if because we, you want to take the poll after the debate. There's no point in knowing now what was going on before the debate. Do you think it's going to change anything? I don't think. I think it might slide a little bit back towards Trump. That's what I kind of believe, maybe by a couple points. So I talked to a, um, I talked to a big league. Um, uh, big league? Yeah, big league, yeah, a big league politics guy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I was surprised. I said, who do you think is uh, going to win? And he said, after the debate? And I said, yeah. And he said, I think Trump is. Mm. And I said, the poll numbers. And he said, I don't believe the poll numbers at all. You mean the, the instant poll of who won the debate? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, by the way, that on, on Breitbart, that was... Uh, well, no, well, there's three polls. <laughs> three things you're talking about. There's two actual scientific polls about what happened in the debate, both of which showed Hillary Clinton winning by about 10 points. So it was the closest margin of the three debates, but she still won. The Breitbart uh, click, 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 click as many times as you can poll, which always is won by Trump by 90 percent. Obviously, the Clinton campaign decided they wanted to screw with Breitbart and Clinton actually won the Breitbart click poll. That's amazing. (laughs) That's amazing. So um, 
Imagine explaining that to Donald Trump. Well, you didn't win it, but it doesn't matter because it's not really a real poll anyway. You could just click as many times as you want. <laughs> uh, um, so uh, uh, he said to me, he said, the reason why is, and I think Matt Kibbe actually talked about it a little bit earlier on the show, um, that the reason why is that he's not sure that there aren't people that, are going to vote for Trump that just don't want to admit it to anybody. Well, and Stu, has, and Stu has talked a little bit about the, the polls and the weighting and the skewing of uh, how they take the polls because, I mean, there there's no phone call polls anymore. Yeah, who are you? I, mean, I actually don't tell who you. I know, but I mean, that's what well, wasn't there somebody about. we yes. talked in a hallway that, a couple of days ago. That so. goes with and that goes with what Stu was talking about as far as the way how they weight the poll the people that they're polling. And they're only polling, uh, you know, like the phone poll was down to 2%. This guy that you were talking to the other day, I caught Jeffy in the hallway having an intellectual discussion with somebody. And I'm like, whoa, I tried to save him so far. (laughs) And um, and so uh, they was talking to somebody who they're they're Washington people. And they were like, have you seen the, the poll numbers and how some of these polls, they can't get people on the phone. And so they're trying to do different things. And what they're doing now is, at least with this one poll he was talking about, is they're weighting the polls um, depending on the area that you are living in on who, if you don't answer, who you probably. As you live there, you probably you probably vote this way. I mean, that's certainly how campaigns look at it. That's crazy. Uh, but, it's just making it up. Well, I mean, I, you know, it depends. I, I, I don't know exactly that what we're talking about, but I, I can say, um, for, like, for example, a lot of the waiting stuff is helping Trump in these polls. So the U.S. Right. Uh, oh, really? USC L.A. Times poll in particular. Um, there's this great story, which is a great piece of journalism um, done by the evil New York Times. I know, but it was still amazing. They looked at the panel being done, uh, being utilized for that poll. And what they found is one 19-year-old black man in Illinois is the is a good part of the reason why Trump is in uh, so competitive in that poll uh, when all the other polls show he's down by eight or, eight or nine points. In this poll, he's always even. And it's because this one guy, it's not the entire reason, but it's one guy who is a Trump supporter. He's 19-year-old and African-American. So he gets weighted so heavily, this one guy, that it moves the poll by a couple points. And when he stopped taking the poll for a week, I don't know if he was on vacation or what, Trump dropped in the polls. Then he started taking it again, and he rose back up. And they weight him like that because they can't get 19-year-old <laughs> black guys on the phone. <laughs> it's probably hard to get virtually anybody on the phone right, anymore because uh, every time a poll calls me, I hang up. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? And they even try that automated trick now where they say, hey, <laughs> I finally got a hold of you. You're as tough to get on the hook as a cave-dwelling Paiute trout. And I've learned, just hang up. <laughs> hang up. <laughs> Click. Sharonda Fox, though, coming up. She's coming, coming up. up next. And now this. I don't know what is going to happen uh, in the future. I don't know if, uh, you know, the sky is going to fall. I know this. We survive. Whatever happens, we survive. When it comes to the economy, I've asked some of the best minds around the country, and I have asked them, What does it look like on the other side? Nobody knows because we haven't seen anything like this since perhaps World War II um, when everything changed. It could go smoothly. There's going to be some disruption. 
What is the value of the dollar on the other side? Do you have things that can um, get you through troubled times that can actually hold its value during this troubled time? My grandfather taught me a couple of things. He said the people who had money, uh, who made money during the 1930s and 40s were the people who had their money, got it out of the stock market. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen to precious metals, but when the world goes insane, all the way to ancient biblical times, the world always turns to gold or silver as the reserve currency. Take your 401k or um, or your IRA and talk to Goldline about investing a portion of that in something you can actually hold in your hand, physical gold or silver. Call 1-866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Read their important risk information, but do it now. 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Why are you running and uh, what, what is your ballot access like? Okay, well, I'm running because um, I had a proper divorce about 28 years ago and it's still happening. And um, so it turned into genocide and treason. Um, I dealt with the last five presidents and none of them really did anything. So mm. over time, policies got, you know, rooted into our system mm-hmm. from what's going on so that's why i'm running so wait just to be clear you mm-hmm. you got a divorce 28 years ago that is still ongoing yes yeah. uh, oh my god that's a that's a long-running divorce a 28 Isn't that, that's taken up like uh the majority of my life wow by you and I'm approaching the next decade I see will be 60. And it you, happened when I was 24. And you can't get the divorce finalized? Is that what's going on? Or? Well, no, the divorce is finalized, but, okay. you know, um, I wasn't familiar with something called divorce burn. <laughs> okay. So my oh, family yeah. and I have been the victim of treason and genocide on the U.S. soil behind it. Treason so. and ge- Wow. Yeah. So let me get to my policies that I got to get out. Okay, Okay, so I was a Democrat for 37 years, right? Mm -hmm. Put the rock in, hasn't Mm -hmm. shook my hand. Went over to the Republicans, gave them every state I could, coast to coast, all three branches of government in each state, and both houses of Congress. And I said, make me president now. And they said, "Uh, pick somebody. And my Tea Party came back with Trump, and I said, they're going to bring y'all racist, so I'm going to go do this myself. So far, I spent $32,115.32. And I've done what they have done with eight billion dollars. Wow! Wow! So are you? Yeah. And when you say you're, yeah. uh, what you've done, you've uh, you have ballot access. Like you're, because I think you you are on the. That's what I, yeah. I filed my FEC report Friday, and that's how much I spent of my personal money. Wow, okay. that's a lot of money you spent yeah. then. Uh, and uh, well, I spent it over the last two and a half years. Okay. Because you, so a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. There are some of the right so, in, uh, independent um, candidates that so my are. My policies are oh, basically okay. were formulated while I was a Republican. All of my policies, all of my policies are paid for. Okay. 
so it won't cost nice. the American taxpayer one nickel. That's, That's great. Wages is my big program mm-hmm. where I give four hundred thousand dollars, hundred thousand dollars for house, hundred thousand dollars for business, hundred thousand dollars for ten year short term investment, hundred thousand dollars for thirty year long term investment. And that's that all paid for. Five trillion dollars in a, in long term investment. I'm going to take that and put the American worker back to work at the auto factories, the steel factories, okay. the rubber plants, the shoe factories, and anybody else that wants their industry. Finally, we're going to get a rubber plant. I don't yeah, think that, any politician <laughs> should say, "I'm going to take your job, but you better vote for me." Okay, I don't. Right. I don't I think know. That I, don't, I think that the, the American people should get something. Way. So our yeah. our stock statements will be from putting American people back to work. Okay, okay. And, and I don't want to glaze over. I don't want to glaze over quickly. This policy because it's one of your big it's one of the bigger points here. Yeah. Um, now you're saying you're going to give four hundred thousand dollars to each uh, relative of, of a slave, um, and mm-hmm. and you will designate that they have to spend uh, in, in four chunks: one hundred thousand dollars to purchase or build a home, a hundred thousand dollars to start a business, a hundred thousand uh, dollars for a ten year short term investment, and a one hundred thousand dollars for a thirty year short term investment. I mean, just as a you know, because we're kind of small government people. It does seem like that that policy might cost a lot of money. How, how much does it cost, yeah. and how would you pay for it? It's going to cost seventeen trillion dollars, and I'm going to use. I'm going to get the money from the illegal aliens. They're going to pay me four hundred dollars a month for sixty years. Okay, four hundred dollars a month for sixty years from illegal immigrants. Okay, seventeen right. if you want citizenship, trillion. You have provisional citizenship until you pay it, and that'll, the federal judges will take care of that. Okay. I am paying off sixteen of the twenty trillion dollars that Barack spent. Right. I'm putting a trillion dollars in the school. Okay. Each student will have $20,000 per student, and the teachers will be reimbursed dollar for dollar for each uh, expenditure they spend on a student out of their pocket. Okay. And none of this, Gosh. not one nickel of it, uh-huh. will cost the taxpayer. Thank the you, <laughs> Thank you. How, okay, so where is the money coming from, Charenda? Where is the money it's coming from? Here. Yeah, from oh, the for which, for which program? Oh, from the illegal immigrants. That illegal immigrants years. Right, for sixty years. That's gonna take care of the reparations. Now, but you said you're gonna pay off sixteen trillion dollars of our yeah, debt Barack, as well. Barack gets three billion dollars, three trillion excuse me, three trillion dollars each year from the IRS. Yes. We only actually spend little over one that. trillion. Really? And we've been fighting back and forth, me, him and Boehner, about that mm-hmm. for the last eight years. And I'm going to take the extra $2 trillion that comes in that nobody knows where it goes, mm-hmm. and I'll put it towards the deficit. Okay, so because you, you touched on something interesting there, Sharonda. We're talking to Sharonda Fox, mm-hmm. who is uh, most likely going to be the, the next president of the United States. We'll get you into the electoral math here in just a second. Um, right. But uh, you, um, you, you mentioned that you, Barack, and Boehner have been working together. And this, this is from your website. Not really. Not, Not really. really. Well, no. Okay, see, so I, put, I put Barack in, and he acted like he, yeah. you know, I, this is mine, I'm the king of the world, forget you, and yeah. your problem. Boy, no right. Me saying that I was going to help you, okay? okay? So I went to John Boehner, that's Arrogant. what you do, right? Right. right. You go to the opposite right. side and right. say, well, okay, yep. he won't help me, will you? Yeah. Right. And he said, fine, I'll help you. Okay. But, but, and he said, well, okay. I'm like, well... You know, all the time that when he kept closing the government, he was doing it for me because Barack would not explain to him where the money was going. Oh, uh, okay. So you see, okay. Yeah. So I say, shut it down. Do not give him that money because I can't trust him. I can't vouch for him because I've never met him. Right. right. Okay. He that's, could be taking us for the ride of a lifetime. Right. Oh, and that's right. fair. You can't vouch for someone you, you've never met. Um, right. You, I said everybody else gets a handshake. Why can't I? That's that's a fair. And, uh, and a thank you. How about that? Uh, that yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Toronto Fox. People are looking for another option. 
election, and Shreda is on the ballot and available to be voted for in most states. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I gave the Democrats 23, 23 billion. I gave the Republicans one billion. So I, I didn't discriminate against everybody. I tried That's everybody. Good. I just tried me because I love everybody. Really. Very nice. And if That's you're looking fair. for, by the way, we did not mention this. And Shreda's, I, I think, too. Uh, I don't know. It's just trying to be too nice and doesn't want to brag about her her proposal. But it does write on the website. Her program will create between thirty five and seventy million jobs. That's a lot of jobs. Uh, which is a pretty That's impressive pretty much job. The minimum. I'm That's thinking 105 million. Oh wow! So under, under, I'll uh, brag a little bit. 105 million. All right, no, 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 there you go. All right, <laughs> well, but I wasn't in that car oh, long. God was with me all the way. There we go. Try to Fox, running for president. Thank, Thank you so you much. Thank you. Good luck. Oh, I so truly appreciate this. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.